This episode is scripted by John Ruths and Newell Fisher and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 37 in which we will be going through chapter 37, The Thunder Builds Up. This being a very tense part of the story, I will get straight on with the chapter, just pausing to note for my future self that this is probably the last episode I will be recording in Uckfield before I return to Lewis in two days' time. The 5th of November last Friday went very well in Lewis, and we had a wonderful evening marking our imminent return to that town. At a time like this, these small diary entries in some episodes are important for the future, so thanks for bearing with me. Unlike Bigwig, this is not an escape we want to make, but one that has been dictated by necessity. I still find it extraordinary how going through this very tensest part of the book has coincided almost exactly with such a stressful time in our lives. It is worth mentioning again just how crucial John Ruths has been in making this episode possible with his script assistance. Thank you, John. And now, as the motto of our Lewis Bonfire Society, the Southover Bonfire Society, goes, we will advance. Chapter 37. The Thunder Builds Up. This is the second of the Thunder chapters and has a lot of back and forth setting changes which keep the reader well informed and stimulate the building tension. The pre-chapter quote is from Uncle Remus. It is spoken in Joel Chandler Harris's portrayal of African-American vernacular English. The proverb in standard American and British English says, You can hide the fire, but what are you going to do with the smoke? Uncle Remus is a group of stories, songs and oral folklore collected from southern black Americans, mostly involving animals. They're mostly instructional and have built-in lessons, much like Aesop's fables. Uncle Remus is the storyteller and is a kind older black gentleman. Joe Chandler Harris, who was white, collected these and put them into print, not without some controversy, mainly because of their alleged portrayal of slavery. Uncle was used as a reference to a male slave to avoid using Mr., and alleged appropriation of black culture. However, for his time, you could argue that the author was quite enlightened. Brer, or Brother Rabbit, is a hero of Uncle Remus's stories, and I'd guess was an inspiration for Ella Herrera. The quote is a clear reference to the secretive activities of Bigwig, the Doze, and eventually Blackabar, who are also in the know. Rabbits are social animals, and keeping secrets in a warren is not an easy thing to do. Chapter 36 ends with Woundwort interrupting Bigwig just as the the escape is about to begin. Adams tells us that his instincts were to fight him at once. He quickly works out that this is not a good idea, but it was not out of fear but logic. Bigwig follows the general where they have a little chat on the bridle path that forms part of the crossroads, or Crixa in Laypine, where Ephraf is located. Bigwig controls his emotions as he is asked many questions. The nature of these tell us that information is being brought to Woundwort. We already know that Ephrafa has systems for this. Bigwig is nearly honest and maybe just a bit brash, but maybe this helps his case. Woundwort is so used to dealing with subservience that perhaps Bigwig's answers and demeanour help earn, earn him some respect. Woundwort is starting to add things up. Bigwig was the rabbit who, albeit accidentally, got Mallow killed by a fox. He was recognised by Groundsel. The fact that Bigwig didn't mention this is clearly suspicious to Woundwort. 
Woundwort shares that he is aware of a band of rabbits on the far side of the Iron Road. If he did not generally trust Bigwig, maybe he would never have revealed this. Or is he just watching his reaction? He directly asks if Bigwig was with this group, forcing Bigwig to deny it. Bigwig's assertion that he would hardly have joined Ephraim on his own, if he were, seems to work. Then he is quizzed about the white bird he was seen near, who was Kiha, and simply says he's never been harmed by one of them before. As a parting shot, Woundwort asks about his meeting with Heisenthlay, ask and asks him to keep an eye on her. Is this a coded way of saying that an eye is being kept on Bigwig? It is intriguing to wonder if there is any chance that Woundwort might have put all these pieces together eventually to guess their plan. Given the way he is fooled in the next chapter, it is easy to think not. However, you do not have to work out a whole plan to know that something suspicious is going on. Suspicious enough to warrant direct, decisive action. This, for Bigwig, is a very dangerous moment. Woundwort is also somewhat disrespectful and petty with Bigwig, but overall, Bigwig gets through yet another social encounter in Ephrafa. At this point, he must feel somewhat emboldened, but the escape is over for now. He checks on Blackavar and de deliberately knocks into one of the guards and even verbally dresses him down. The knocking into the guard and Bigwig's re reproachful comment are interesting. Is he trying to test the waters with a little, a little psychological jab at a rabbit he plans to attack as part of the escape? Is he testing the authority of the Owsler over an Owslaffer member? Or is he just doing what comes naturally and he basically can't help himself? The incident comes across as mostly the latter, but maybe a bit of the other two possibilities as well. Basically, Bigwig chooses to take a deliberate action that on the whole he really needn't have taken. Imagine any other rabbit from Watership Down being there instead of Bigwig. Who else would have taken this action? The scene now moves to the little patrol base-like location where the rest of our heroes are, near the river, and opens with Hazel. Kihar flies in, and Hazel questions him about some important details that he's apparently repeated before. Hazel is nervous. Fiverr's sixth sense is not working, and he appropriately says, clouds and thunder, in reference to what he senses from Ephrafa. His senses just aren't working well. We're never sure why, but it really doesn't matter. Richard Adams will not have five senses save the day each time, which is a wise choice. What is certain is that the escape attempt is off for now, and that their escape plan location at the railway arch, which is far nearer Ephrafa, needs to change back to the river right away. Again, we see how much Hazel needs Fiverr, and after his sixth sense won't work in this instance, he calms Hazel down a bit with a metaphor about letting grass grow. Hazel ends this section by stating that if Bigwig does not come out tonight, he's going in. Is he serious about this? If so, what exactly would the plan be in that scenario? Surely it would be suicidal. We now cut back to Bigwig, who is with Heisenthlay. The signs of the stress he's been carrying is really starting to show, and he's shaking. He does not know what Windwatt knows or what he suspects. Adams articulates just how much Bigwig's nervous exhaustion is getting to him. Bigwig's mental strain is causing his thoughts to be a bit pessimistic and overstated. A couple of his thoughts highlight this. Quote, Woundwort had every advantage. He sat at the junction of all paths, seeing clearly down each. And, quote, Bigwig, ludicrous in his efforts to measure up to him as an enemy, clambered clumsily and ignorantly. This is really not what is happening but it is effective that Adams uses Bigwig's thoughts in this way.
There will be some information leakage via the young and naive doe Nell Filter. But what is mostly getting at Bigwig at the moment are his nerves. Adam's use of free discourse is very effective in explaining Bigwig's worried thoughts. Heisenthray makes Bigwig even more nervous when she asks if it's possible to get away that evening. She then relates that it is even possible that there could be a doe spy amongst the group she's spoken to. This gives this chapter a bit of a John le Carre feel to it, and Ephrafa feels like the former East Germany. Bigwig applies himself to the idea of taking out a larger group, and a blacker bar, of course, and how that might play out. If he lost his nerve and made a quick escape with just the ringleaders, he would be seen as having failed, no matter what he had been through. Bigwig senses sort things out, and he partially blames the building weather for Heisenthal's nervousness. As Heisenthal goes to sleep, Bigwig more or less resolves, if it comes to it, to give up his life if necessary to make this all work. He thinks to himself, quote, I'll fight until they tear me to bits. They'll make no black of our out of me, end quote. It is now the next morning, and Bigwig's own common sense keeps him from panicking when he finds out that Heisenthal is not there. Bigwig encounters Moneywort, who is one of the Mark's sentries, and sends him off to awaken Captain Cherville. It is quiet right now due to the building weather system overhead. Bigwig makes a request of Ella in much the same way as someone might offer to sell their soul in a Faustian bargain. One of those comments that are normally just stated to say how you feel. He hears Blackavar being brought up the run, who looks more pitiful than before if that's possible. Bigwig offers him some clover, only to have Bartia state that it's not allowed. Another Auslaffer member contradicts this remark, and Blackavar gets to eat the clover after all. Chervil arrives, and even he, as the Mark's captain, seems subdued. Now Thilter makes an unwise comment to him about a possible surprise coming up, and that rabbits might be able to fly away. Bigwig intervenes and saves the day with his imaginary thorn in his paw, and they all head above ground. Very simple trickery, but you suspect that Elacrera would still grin. However, soon after they're outside, Bigwig plays a trick that Elacrera would really approve of. Bigwig cleverly fools Cherva with a fake charm consisting of a dance and a poem, while simultaneously giving Kihar vital information about returning that night. This is a brilliant way to overcome his being forbidden from going near Kihar by his marked captain. Sometime later, Bigwig chances upon Blackavar. Bigwig does not pass up the chance to once again disregard the authority of Bartzia. Bigwig pushes him to the side and joins Blackavar, who is in the process of passing Hraka. He uses this private moment to tell Blackavar the plan. It may be a crazy thing to do in this way, but our Bigwig is quite determined and is grabbing any opportunity he can get. Bartia confronts Bigwig when he comes back inside. He's perfectly courteous, as he's always been, but points out that this is the third time Bigwig has disrespected his authority. Bigwig simply ignores Bartia, showing even more disrespect, and instructs the others to go easy on Blackavar. Bigwig has been getting a hold of himself and manages the situation that he's in very well. What he's been doing takes motivation, resolve and bravery. This chapter reminds us just how intelligent and brave Bigwig can be under pressure. He goes to his burrow and sleeps. Next time, the thunder breaks.
and the escape from Ephrathah begins. Mm-hmm. 